Hi, everyone, and welcome back to The Savvy Psychologist. I'm your host, Dr. Ellen Hendrickson, and every week I'll help you meet life's challenges with evidence-based research, a sympathetic ear, and zero judgment. For this week's episode, listener Claire from Los Angeles writes that she and her partner have been together for two years, but recently she's begun to worry the spark is gone. And she's interested in how love changes over time. Are you supposed to feel like you've nested? Is that a good sign or a bad sign? So this week we ask, can love actually last? Or does love inevitably settle in, hang around in a stained t-shirt, and get a little too comfortable? So I set out to write about the stages of a relationship. But after digging through the research, I discovered that unlike grief with its denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance model, there's really no go-to stage theory for romantic love. But what I did dig up was really interesting. So let's look at the many permutations of love, including everlasting love, which, it turns out, doesn't just happen in fairy tales. So here are three schools of thought on the nature of romantic love. School of thought number one, passionate versus companionate love. Now, you might also call this the old school model of love. The theory has reached the holy grail of research in that it's become common household knowledge. But is it true? Well, let's find out. In the 1960s, two pioneering social psychologists, Drs. Ellen Bersheed and Elaine Hatfield, started out in a field that was then thought of as an oxymoron, relationship science. But in 1969, they named the two stages of long-term love we're all familiar with. The first, passionate love, marks the beginning of a relationship. And in it, you have strong feelings of love and lust for your new partner. You walk on sunshine and annoy all your friends with your infatuation, and you're nourished somehow by your obsession with your beloved. And passionate love is thought to last anywhere from a few months to a couple of years. Next comes the second stage, companionate love, in which love settles in for the long haul. And here, the passion ebbs. Wisdom, care, and affection flow on, but it's more like a deep friendship. It's been described as a warm afterglow, with the emphasis on after. In other words, the honeymoon is over. And as nice as security and comfort are, companionate love sounds to a lot of people like a breakup cliche. Like, I think of you as my best friend. So next is school of thought number two, triangular love. Okay, so along comes Dr. Robert Sternberg. His 1986 triangular theory not to be confused with that mainstay of soap operas, the love triangle, thought about love as a mix-and-match outfit of three parts. And the ingredients are these. Passion, intimacy, and commitment. So, for example, mix intimacy and passion, but leave out commitment, and you get the obsession of passionate love. Then intimacy plus commitment, but no passion, that's companionate love. Just passion, you're in lust just intimacy, you've got a friend. And in the elusive type of love that Sternberg called consummate love, you get all three. Though he noted that over the course of a relationship, passion slides, intimacy grows, and commitment rises, but eventually levels off. Now, Sternberg's theory moved the field forward because it wasn't a one-size-fits-all model. 
and it accounted for many different kinds of love. But it also carried forward the passionate, companionate paradigm that after that initial spark, the passion inevitably dies out. Which brings us to school of thought number three, everlasting love. So even many years later, the prevailing idea is still that love dies, or at least fizzles, which is just sad. But more importantly, it doesn't match up with people's experience. Indeed, in a 2012 paper in Social, Psychological, and Personality Science, more than 35% of people married 30 years or more reported being very intensely in love. And so the researchers wondered what was up with that. So to find out, some of the same researchers did another study. They used fMRI to scan the brains of people in long marriages, an average of 21 years, who, in the best part of the study, were recruited by ads that asked, are you still madly in love with your long-term partner? And who knew that study recruitment could be so adorable? Then, each participant had their brain scanned while they looked at photos of four different people, their partner, a long-term friend, an acquaintance they had known as long as the partner, and a new acquaintance. Now, what happened? Well, when participants looked at the picture of their partner, they showed increased brain activity in the dopamine-rich areas that drive reward and motivation, the same areas that light up with food or drugs. But guess what? Not only did this not happen with pictures of the friend or acquaintances, but the parts of the brain that showed increased activity were the same as in individuals who were newly in love. So in other words, neurally at least, long-term romantic love can look pretty much the same as a new relationship. So take that, companionate fizzle. Okay, so after all this, what conclusion should our listener Claire come to? Well, there is no one right answer. Long-term romantic love is, we now know, certainly possible, but obviously not with every relationship. Sometimes it's not the right match from the get-go. Sometimes you just grow apart over the years. And most people need a few relationship tries at bat before they hit that home run. And even when you do find the right match, there is work to do. Indeed, you don't get a takeout version of a soulmate, a finished product delivered right to your door. Instead, a soulmate has to be home-cooked, made with time and care. To sum up, at a wedding I recently attended, the officiant made a point of saying to the bride and groom, instead of wishing you good luck, I wish you good work. But it's not thankless work. It's work that, done well and with an equally committed partner, can make you one of those people who answered that ad, saying, yes, after all these years, I am still madly in love. For even more savvy, subscribe to the Savvy Psychologist podcast on iTunes or Stitcher, listen on Spotify, or like on Facebook, or get the transcript delivered straight to your inbox by signing up for the Savvy Psychologist newsletter at quickanddirtytips.com slash newsletters. As always, thank you so much for listening. I'm Dr. Ellen Hendrickson, and transcripts for this and every other episode are always available on that URL I mentioned, quickanddirtytips.com slash savvy-psychologist. And of course, the Savvy Psychologist is strictly for informational purposes and doesn't substitute for mental health care from a licensed professional. Thank you so much for listening. I will see you next week for a happier, healthier mind. <laughs>